Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Coleman Had a Dream podcast. We've had a couple of weeks away after we've been digesting the news of Gareth Bale's uh, retirement, and today, hopefully, this will be a less tear-filled podcast. Um, I'm joined, as always, by Ruth. How are you doing, How are you doing Ruth? You all right? It better be less tear-filled, or we're really in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I've, I've, in, I've intentionally yeah. kept, kept this from you uh, because uh, of you know recording on on this. But uh, I went to Newcastle a couple of weeks ago to watch Newcastle play Fulham, uh, and uh, one of the lads who is like a Geordie, big Newcastle fan, big England fan, said uh, he doesn't really listen to our podcast, but he was interested to what we say about uh, Gareth Bale, and he said uh, he enjoyed it so much that for a little moment. He, he wanted to be Welsh for a little moment. <laughs> uh, and I think that is, uh, that is high praise. So, uh, Audi, if it you, is. If we're, you... spread, we're spreading the love. He's very welcome, you know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He is. Audi, if you're listening, we can, uh, we can send you a Welsh, dr- well, Welsh, Welsh flag, mate. Uh, and you can, uh, you can join the ranks. Um, obviously, we haven't, we haven't chatted for a while. Ruth, you have very exciting news about a, a new addition to your family as well. Uh, we've got a little puppy. Keeping them, keeping us more than busy. So uh, yeah, she's she's got us running ragged. So between between your sheepdog and our Labrador, I think we're yeah. both being run off our feet with the additions to the family. Uh, my my first question, obviously, is I have uh, Shearer the dog. My my first question was, have you have you have you named the dog after a Welsh footballer? And I was, I'll be honest, Ruth, slightly no. slightly disappointed with the answer. No, no, no. I'm afraid my husband got to pick this one. So she's called Jade, which is, you know, it's it's working fine. Um, not very, not very imaginative, really. But, you know, it does the job. It does the job. Yeah, I was I was hoping I was hoping for uh, for Fishlock. Uh, or, or yeah, similar, I, I but... quite like Jess, actually, yeah. I have to be honest. But anyway, there we are. It there is what are. it is. Exactly. Well, there you go, ladies and gents. You're all caught up on the thrilling and exciting uh, real lives <laughs> of the Coleman Had a Dream podcast. Um we are here to talk to you today, not about animals, you'll be delighted to know, but about Welsh football. Um, not vast amounts have happened, I would say, uh, in, in terms of the men's game, but I think there's some interesting developments on the women, uh, developments, sorry, on the women's game. And of course, we will be talking about the Kit Simon situation, him leaving, uh, and kind of what comes next, as well as looking at the last few days of the transfer window and seeing if there is any potential movement for any of the Wales players. But we're going to start, Ruth talking about the Kit Simon situation. Uh, first of all, what, what your, your kind of thoughts uh, here in the news that, uh, that he was leaving the role? I don't think it was any surprise, really, was it? I think um, in some respects, it seems to be the smallest, the smallest sort of stirring of the pot step that could have been taken, really. And I think in some respects, that might be a little, I might be a bit concerned about that. Um, I think Alan Neil has had more impact as a as an assistant. I think I think Kit was always going to be the one of those two that was going if if that was going to be the scenario. Um, I don't I don't think there's any surprises there, is there really? Well, I, I think they were may have been a bit surprised. Um, the the two the two lads who who went, uh, Simons and Strudwick. But um, no, I, mm-hmm. I, I I don't think Strudwick. I think in fairness might be more of a surprise. Yeah, I think I think ultimately we are looking. I think Page just wanted to make a change. I think he, he recognised that we needed to kind mm-hmm. of sh- shake things up a bit. And I don't think this will be the end of it, but I assume he brought Alan Nil in and he, he knew that that was his person who helped him, who was going to help him play a certain way. And I think if we're going to play a certain yeah. way moving forward, then I think he probably wants someone who can coach us to do that. And I think 
what may have happened, and I'm, I'm maybe putting two and two together and coming up with 12, but I wonder if we got into a situation where we weren't playing the way he wanted to play, but by act, you know, for one reason or other, through injuries or whatever else, but by accident almost, the way that we were playing was producing results. So you're kind of, you never want to change a winning team and ended up, you go down a little rabbit hole and all of a sudden when that thing you, you're doing isn't working, it's hard to go back to where you were because of course, you, yeah. you, you, you know, that's where you wanted to be in the first place and you're coaching the players to do something perhaps that, you know, wasn't the plan. So I think maybe the idea is that he's just kind of refreshing things up a little bit and, uh, and, and from there, there's going to be some, some interesting changes. Um, I think... Looking at uh, some comments that Paige has said recently, I was, I was interested to see that um, he was he, he recognised that levels dropped, um, and I thought that was a really interesting uh, way of describing that. I guess at the at the World Cup that levels dropped. Um, how did you kind of interpret that? Um, I haven't seen the whole interview. I'll be honest. I've seen the snippet that Scorio have had on on Facebook where where he says that. Um, the World Cup might have been too much for some players. I, I actually find that a bit concerning as a comment from manager. I don't like the way that the onus is put on players in that comment. But then it's difficult for me to really judge that when it's one snippet and I haven't heard all of it. Um, and, and the comment that you mentioned where he said we won't allow levels to drop like that again, at least at least kind of puts some some ownership of the issue on the structure and the and the management of the coaching staff and not just on the players um i know that they're talking about bringing a psychologist back i think i I think i've been concerned since not long after 2016 when we didn't have a psychologist i think i think they're too too important in this day and age when we're asking so much of players not to have that um that support um i mean i think i think it kind of is what it is um the 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 structure within the coaching staff there's i think there's an opening in the under 18s if i remember rightly at the minute but otherwise i think all of the all the other age group coaching's taken care of so i don't i don't think we're going to see a big a big change in the coaching staff to, to be honest and it might be that with um Alan Nil not now having that role in Middlesbrough that he did have. Maybe, maybe he's even sort of on board full time, um, um, you know. And perhaps there's even less impetus to have an, a, another voice again. You know, maybe, maybe it will become a page and nil sort of uh, show, much in the way that it was it was Coleman and Oshin sort of sort of show primarily. Um, so yeah, I'm, I. I don't know. You've you've probably heard more of those comments than me. So, what's what are your thoughts on on what Paige had to say? I, I think that what you said about the players is true, but I think he referenced it in the context of they weren't ready for it. It was sort of like we hadn't prepared them well enough. It was uh, he didn't say those words, <laughs> but I mean, in terms of the context that was mentioned, and I think that relates to the idea that they want to have kind of some kind of coaching uh, shakeup, and I think that awareness yeah. of what happened has is, is, is kind of impacted uh, what comes next. Um, I think it's also interesting that he was talking about adopting a new style and identity um, and I think that, you know involving more younger players which is something that I do think Ryan Giggs uh, did pretty well and, and, and Paige to an extent has not done to the same degree uh, a lot of that is again because mm-hmm. of context and the situation but again I think if he wants to have a, a, a set style of play and a new style of play then maybe you need a new coach with new ideas who can who can implement those um, 
those things. So I, I think it was said in the context of I think everyone can do better, uh, rather than I don't think it was I don't think mm-hmm. it was solely laying the blame on on, on the players' door. Um, but the, but what? Um, again, I think I think it's just a bit frustrating that we're making these points now and weren't addressing this, you know, 12, 18 months ago. Um, it's as though we needed this really hard slap in the face to get us to see that things weren't moving in the direction that they should. So I'm, I think I'm trying to get past the frustration that we're here now when we're, perhaps we should have been here 18 months ago, but at least we are moving forward and there seems to be an acknowledgement that that there are things to address. Um, I, I think there might have been a bit of head in sand going on, you know, perhaps in the in the early autumn leading up to the World Cup. So, you know, there's, there's, that's positive moves, I suppose. I think you're right to an extent. I, I, I do think the flip side of that is I think 18 months ago, we were all, I wouldn't say burying our head in the sand, we were, we were all kind of involved in, in what was, was going on, uh, if you like, mm-hmm. 18 months ago, which was, you know, we'd, we'd not long come off the back of a, of, a, of a successful Euros to all intents and purposes. Um, I, would, I wouldn't say there were huge amounts that needed to be changed. We did well in a tricky qualifying group. We got to the World Cup. I don't think it was immediately apparent, and, and, and you know, until we got to the World Cup, and I appreciate it's too late then because it's after the fact. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I do think there's a little bit of, you know, th- this was only going to come probably to an extent once Gareth Bale had made his mind up on what he was doing because he was obviously central to, to how we played and involving him on the mm-hmm. pitch was a big part of that. So I do wonder if that was part of it. So I, I don't quite think it's as simple as we needed to do this 18 months ago, perhaps. Um one of the things he did say uh, was there was also no further retirements, uh, which is great. And he also mentioned that uh, Aaron Ramsey is going to be raring to go in March, which is great news. And I think it's important that, you know, obviously Bale's gone, but there's not en masse uh, retirements either. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's important just from a kind of connectivity. Um, you don't want to be literally starting from scratch. And there's obviously some just raw experience that those senior players bring to the squad. And I don't, you know, I don't think it's, um, I think we've got to be careful because we've also got a a, a sort of raft of players who've now played in two tournaments and you want to give them space to grow and develop and to, and to become the senior in, in, in that sense, the senior players within the squad. But, I do think you need a, a core of of the older players just to just to be there to kind of guide that and ensure that the culture is where you want it to be and things. I haven't got. It's not that I don't have confidence in the slightly younger players. I think the you know the Connor Roberts, for example, of the world are eminently capable of lead, of leading the dressing room in that sense. But I, I like the idea of this being more of a transition, and I think it's important that we find ways to to enable it to be a transition rather than a sort of a full stop and a reboot. Uh, what was the expression? Evolution, not revolution, I think. Uh, okay, yeah, like that. Yeah, um, that'll do me. Apology, <laughs> um, apologies for, I can hear some screams. It sounds like Ruth is murdering someone uh, in the background whilst this is going on. <laughs> I, I can assure you. So there's a family coming yeah. with a, a little one who's a bit screechy. Yeah, yeah I probably, that is not the case. Ruth is 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 not doing that to someone. Um, yeah, I, one of the questions we've had from Michael Folland, uh, which has been uh, followed on by uh, my mate Owen Porter, which is, um, 
obviously there's going to be a new person coming in. Have we got any thoughts on on who that person might be or who we would like it to be? Because I appreciate Oshan Roberts is the is the first name on everyone's lips. Realistically, that's not going to happen. So have you got any <laughs> ideas of who you would like to see or realistically who could come in? Uh, not really, to be honest. I, but I would like to think that between Roberts and Carl Darlington, we've got a, you know a little back book of people that have impressed on our FAW coaching courses. That we know who we'd like to be approaching. We know who's who fits this style that Paige wants to adopt. Because obviously, it's no good going down a, a route where someone is um, at odds with that. So I'd like to feel that there's a you know a list on the wall somewhere at uh, Dragon's Park of people that have, you know, shown themselves well within FAW coaching courses. And that really it's just a matter of following up on someone whose style, you know, is going to work well. Um, in terms of actual names, of, the, of the, the sort of 2016 group that have moved on and retired and done their coaching courses, it, it really only seems to be Neil Taylor that's sort of particularly actively following that route at the minute, um, admittedly out in Dubai. Uh, but I'm, my gut reaction is he's still probably a bit close to the senior members of the of the existing squad. So I, I think someone like his, his turn might be, you know, it's kind of next cycle round. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe someone like Sean Parrish, who's an assistant at Wolves, um, and has been there kind of as, as a you know stable influence um, on the assistant coaching team there for about five or six years now. So he must be doing something right to kind of survive their managerial changes. Um, I, the honest answer is I don't I don't, I don't have an immediate candidate. I, I think it's not easy, is it? I think that's the, the crux yeah. of it. And I think that also tells a lot of the problem. I'm not someone who's particularly wedded to the idea of them needing to be Welsh. I quite like the idea mm -hmm. of someone who's had management experience somewhere else who's still kind of yeah. young enough, if you like, on the ladder and, and can come in and make a difference. And I think that mm -hmm. would be an interesting person to kind of have around and have that knowledge and experience and personality. And again, and I don't mean this person per se, but as an example, like I've got three, three in my head, from a non-Welsh example, someone like Kevin Nolan, and I highlight someone like, in that sentence, I'm not, I'm not saying necessarily actual Kevin Nolan, he's, mm -hmm. he's working at West yeah. Ham, he's got some good experience, he's been a manager, he's assistant manager now, he could maybe even do the, both of the roles at, at, at some point, again, as an example, it doesn't have to be Kevin Nolan, I just mean someone like that, who's got that experience and knowledge, and, yeah. has, and has played at a high level. Um, equally, I wondered if, you know, if we do want to go down a Welsh road, are we looking at people like at some level that we could involve people like Robert Earnshaw, who's been coaching, uh, Craig Bellamy, mm -hmm. who's been coaching and is working well in Burnley. Could he take it on on the side? Jack Collison has just got a, a new role in America, so I appreciate not him, but again, someone of that ilk um, who, yeah. could, who could come in and, 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 and take part and, and bring a new kind of fresh approach. The other one is a, is a slight left field. And again, like you say, I'm sure there is a, a list of names on the on the a proverbial list of names on the wall somewhere but the other one I, I I've you know having doing some digging was a was a was a guy called Ryan Moon who I think is only 28 years old he's um, an A license holder and he, he works with the 
think he's the manager of Dundee United's under-18s, and Dundee's policy is very much to kind of involve, mm-hmm. involve the young players, and that is how they are kind of uh, re- what they're reliant on. You know, there's a, a lot of uh, academy graduates that have come through the system, making it to their first team. Um, and I saw, as I scroll through my notes here, um, there was a boy uh, in February who played for Dundee who was aged 16 years and six days old, so just <laughs> after his 16th birthday, <laughs> playing for the first team. I, again, I'm not suggesting for a moment that Ryan Moon would be the right person because he's still a young guy. I don't know how we would deal. It's a big jump up from uh, club football, especially with, with you know full fully young players to, to moving up to senior players. Um, in this environment but I mean again someone along that line someone who's young and has got a fresh approach to things uh, and, and could come in and, and, and do something a bit different I think if, if the words of, of, of Paige is to shake things up then someone like Ryan Moon I think would be uh, an interesting person to to take part in that so those would be the names I would be looking at um, or at least that maybe not the names per se but the type of person uh, I would be No I, 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 think, I, think, I think we're on the same page there I would favour someone who would would almost rather do it as a side job to, you know, a, a, a an assistant role at a at a club or a a coaching role at a club. I think I can see merit in perhaps seeing if Alan Neil will just do this full time and he and Paige can take the lead and then you bring in someone with, you know, just to give you some variety in squad sections and some and some other ideas and some alternative thinking but you're not expecting that person to kind of drive things day to day um so i i actually favor the 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 kind of second job nature of of some of these appointments actually yeah and i think that the some of these people might also still be you know will be improving on their coaching day to day as they go on and then bring in that fresh knowledge and fresh impetus uh to, to to the welsh setup which i think would be helpful um one of the other things mm-hmm. that has been referenced, we, we did touch on last time when we talked about Bale, but obviously didn't really focus on, which was the, the captaincy. Um, I th- the two names that Paige has revealed, if you like, that he was looking at is Davis and Ampadu, which is two we went for last time. Out of interest, of the two of those, mm-hmm. which which would you favour? I think, I, I think like we said in the last part, at the minute I'd be going for Ben Davis of, of those two. I think um, just... Just to give Ampadu a bit of space, as much as anything, I think he's the last eighteen months he's really developed, and this this second year in Italy, there's been a lot of growing up. I think physically he's kind of found himself. Touch wood, the injuries don't seem to be plaguing him like they were, and I'd, I'd just like to give him the space to 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 get, kind of get that all settled. Um, and I like the the sort of transitionary nature of where Ben Davies sits within the sort of the squad hierarchy and the age structure and things as well. It just seems a better match for me. I wouldn't be again Ampadu by any means, but I, I think I just favour Ben for that for those reasons. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with you, I think. I, I do think Ampadu is is going to be a future captain, maybe, captain sorry, maybe <laughs> after Ben Davies, Ampadu would be the next person. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I think I agree with you there. Um, to... Uh, to move on, Ruth. And I think I don't think there's any I don't think there's any uh, problem also with having a very clear um, second captain, vice captain in the structure. I don't think there's a problem with that either, and maybe that's the way to do it, just to give it all a bit more kind of flow and structure too. 
Yeah, I think that's a good idea, and I think it's good having the you know that different body of players that are around the yeah. manager as well, from from the young and the old to kind of have a bit of a yeah of a balance and a good reflection on what the players think and, and what they want as well. Um, obviously, we're talking about coaching, management, new people required. Um, <laughs> Cardiff City once again have uh, have jumped on the managerial merry-go-round. Lots of different names being linked, of course, after. Um, uh, Mark Hudson lost his job. Uh, um, at the minute, you know, there's all sorts of different names being kind of bandied around. I think is the best way to see it. Dean Smith is one of them. Um, obviously, uh, Dean Whitehead is like the caretaker manager at the moment. That I mean, I don't want to go too much into this. We don't like to focus on clubs too much specifically, and also, you know, this is not always our strongest area. But um, I just wanted to kind of see what you thought because it just it just seems like a a, a constant mess for want of a better expression yeah it does i think you use the word merry-go-round at the start of that and I, it, that's what it feels like it feels like you've got people just hopping on and off that, that merry-go-round and that everybody's just getting dizzy and doesn't know where they are and um i i mean we've had it feels like we've had this conversation before of you know what's the plan what's the what's the vision what's the raise on debt, where are they going, what do they want to achieve? I mean, it's looking like they'll bring in someone who's a kind of keep-you-up specialist. And and I suspect we might be in exactly this same place this time next year when that keep-you-up specialist probably keeps them up and then, nothing, and then nothing develops through the autumn of next year and we're here exactly again in 12 months' time. Yeah, I mean, you're right, Ruth. We have talked about this before uh, and it was when um, oh, Mick McMackham uh, what's his name Mick McCarthy uh, when, 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 he, when he came in apologies to any Sunderland fans I'm not I'm not sorry at all actually um, but um, yeah it, when he came in I think I said the same thing you're just kicking the can down the road a bit you're waiting for and hoping for someone to keep you up then when they do you think oh this bloke's doing well we'll keep him in and then you're in the exact same situation and they sort of went down the right road I think with Steve Morrison to an extent where they wanted someone who's going to blood young players and and play a certain style of football but that obviously takes time to implement so they tried to do the right thing it didn't really work out and they've just taken strides backwards and it just seems a mess and I I think I don't know whether Tan wants to sell the club um, you know, if he wants to do that, kind of have to stay up. Quite simply, in League One, they, there's you know the value of them plummets. There's been um, mm-hmm. disapproving glances being thrown towards the crowd in terms of atmosphere, which I never think is fair. Um, I don't think it's on no. the, you know the players are there to do their jobs. I don't think it's on the fans at all to do that. And I went to Cardiff on Boxing Day, and the atmosphere was terrible. But so was so was the game of football. Um, and you know, mm-hmm. you know it, it is whether we like it or not it is an entertainment business and that you know it wasn't entertaining far from it and I watched that I've watched kind of I think maybe on the TV a couple of times and I've obviously been to see them in the flesh once and I was bored if I'm totally honest so I can understand if you were turning up every week to watch that that you would be you'd be frustrated I, I've spoken to a few of my Cardiff City friends um, who are very much of the of the opinion that Cardiff will go down this year, and I think that would be mm-hmm. just a huge nightmare. Yeah, and that, goes, that sort of echoes a point that I wanted to make, is that what young sort of aspiring manager would want to take them on at the minute? Like, if you if you think about 
Russell Martin, for example, and Swansea City. I don't want to make a, obviously not trying to make a comparison here, but in the sense of he had a style, the club knew where they wanted to go. He could see that he would be able to implement it. It's been a rocky road, but he's been given some time. And I, I think if you were Russell Martin then, looking at Cardiff City now, would you want to go anywhere near it? And I, I get the feeling that people would be backing off. So I, I, I think they've also put themselves in this really unenviable position of not being terribly attractive um, for someone who's trying to build a career, which again gives you reduces your options and puts you back at looking at the kind of, you know, Sam Allardyce's of the world, uh, which doesn't feel like a step forward, very obviously. No, hilariously, I think there's a lot of chat that Sam Allardyce might be going back to Everton, which uh, is <laughs> just absolute lols. Um, yeah, it's um, it's a messy situation, and um, and I just don't know what the outcome is, because we, like you say, we have mm-hmm. had this conversation before, and I, I, I saw the other day uh, Jamie Redknapp talking about Everton being the worst-run club in the country, apart from the, uh, that being a really embarrassing statement, quite crass, actually, I thought, when you consider clubs that have gone out of business in the last 18 months, and, and yeah. clubs that are close to going out of business, uh, I thought that was quite a crass comment, but, you know, I, I would, you know, look at that and think... Cardiff City are comfortably a worse run club in a, in a much worse position in a, in, a, in a position that they might be going down to the third tier they're just outside the relegation zone at the moment by by yeah. three points but they've played two more games than Huddersfield who are directly below them um, you know and it is it is tight down there and they've also had some disappointing results they drew very late in the game against Wigan which is the game that lost Hudson his job Um when they should really have won that game, kind of haven't won in their last five. Like there's there's a, there's a lot of kind of concerning signs here. I, the only upside I would say for Cardiff in the short term is the championship is a very congest, congested uh, division. Like were they to win a couple of games in a row, they would go up around 14th, 15th, um, which would be you know which would be more than enough to to keep them in a safe position. So you know. It's uh, it's a very interesting league, and you know there's two teams running away with it, and everyone else is kind of much of a muchness. Which again, I do think is a positive for Cardiff in terms of staying up. I, th- I think it means that apart from one or two teams, everyone everyone is gettable um, on on a, on a single day. So that is obviously a, a bonus. But I think Cardiff, uh, you know, I, I will I am confident that we will be having the exact same conversation uh, in 18 months' time, unless something changes, and whether that's the owner an owner sells up and I don't know what the fans can do if there's uh, you know a protest movement that people are keen on or whatever um, mm-hmm. you know I, I think that is that is perhaps something that needs to be explored if Cardiff fans want to do that but I think unless something changes dramatically they're in this kind of two year shitty cycle uh, once again and it's yeah. uh, it's a real shame really because uh, you know They've done well. They've been up in the Premier League. They've, you know, they've done well in the Championship in in, in relative, recent, relatively speaking, in recent times. And to be in the position now is um, is a shame. So uh, yeah, is, is there anything else you wanted to uh, to add on that, Ruth? No, no, no. Just feel for the fans. I think uh, yeah, I think agreed. you know they're they're in the, they're they're the ones that are really caught in this end of the cycle. I can't help but feel for them. Absolutely, um, totally agree. Now uh, we're going to move on to women's football for a moment. Um, a lot of interesting stuff has, has happened uh, in the last uh, two weeks or so since we last spoke. 
Um, one of them is the equal pay agreement, which has been reached between the FAW, uh, between the men's and the women's national teams. We'll come to that in a sec. Um, before we do that, we just wanted to mention uh, Laura McAllister, who is running for the uh, spot on the UEFA Executive Committee. There's like a designated spot for a woman uh, to be on that committee every year, and, and she's going. She's running for that spot at the minute. She's um, un uh, what's the word uncontested. Uh, there's no one else going for it at the moment. They've obviously put in quite an early shout to to maybe see if they can see if anyone else is interested um but the the deadline i think for applications is the 5th of february so um you know we will find out very very soon if she's up against someone but it would it would be fantastic i think for laura to uh, to be representing wales but also women's football on you know a very important and prominent committee in in football governance yeah it's, a, it's an, an interesting role for her I mean, obviously she's already on the the specific women's committee and she's part of the gender equality group as well. So she's, I mean, we don't need to say it, but she's obviously well known within UA from well and well respected. I think the fact that this particular role that she's going for, um, there isn't uh, an, an incumbent person to run against in the way that there was when she was going for a role. Was it 12 months ago yeah. um, when she was looking at, to be the UA for, nominee to the FIFA committee um uh, the 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 French lady that was in the role has obviously got well you know when the when the government investigation the government audit says that your your chair of your federation has to resign then um the, the French federation is obviously in a mess so yeah. um I guess that lady has decided she doesn't want to stand again so I think that does help Laura in the because one of the issues she had going last time was she was up against an incumbent. And I think there is a tendency for organisations when they're voting just to vote for the known. Um, so I'm hopeful that the fact that this is an open seat will help Laura on this as well. Um, and uh, yeah, clearly if, if no one else stands, then that you know should be a great candidate. But I've, I've got confidence in her as a candidate, even if she's up against someone else as well. Absolutely. I, I think it's... Uh, you know, obviously that that campaign wasn't successful last time around, but I think standing up in front of you know all those uh, presidents of of, of countries <laughs> in, in a football sense, obviously, uh, and, and speaking so well as she does and so passionately, I think will have had yeah. an impact on people, and especially as you say, now there's not an incumbent for her to to compete against. I think that'll <laughs> make a big difference for her as well. So. Um, fingers crossed as uh, she gets a, a chance there I think as you know Laura's been on the pod I think twice before once or twice uh, definitely once but maybe twice and you just have to listen to her talk for about five minutes to realise not only as how, how knowledgeable she is but how passionate she is she's a fantastic person I've been out on the well, I say been out on the beach had some beers with her on, on some Wales away trips uh, she got the pleasure of having a, a drink bought for her by Owen Porter the tightest man in the world so that was uh, probably something that she will be putting on her uh, UEFA committee application uh, that if she can if she can get money out of my friend O's um, she can get money out of anyone um, so uh, so there you go yeah but fantastic and, and, and Laura Laura, as I've texted Laura, and she's she's hopefully going to come on the pod uh, in the near future once there's a bit more kind of clarity uh, around the situation, the nominees, and whatever, uh, to kind of discuss things in a bit more depth. So fingers crossed for Laura. She's a fantastic um, person to be around foot Welsh football. She's a fantastic servant for Welsh football uh, and uh, and football in general. So fingers crossed that Laura uh, gets that. Now, if we're going to stick on women's football, Ruth. Uh, Brilliant news that there's been a, a pay agreement reached between uh, uh, 
the men's team and the national teams to uh, uh, men's team and the women's team, sorry, to achieve equal pay. Before I go in and ask uh, intentionally antagonistic questions, um, do you want to just let me know what your kind of initial take on that is? Oh, I just think it's, it's an important step. I think, um, you know, there's, there's several federations that have gone down this route, Norway, England, the US, Republic of Ireland, but it's not straightforward. Scotland the, Scotland was having the same discussions and, and theirs has fallen apart because they couldn't get couldn't get to an agreement. So um, I think it's it's testament to people's um, desire to have a kind of unified approach to the international teams. And I think it's one very, uh, very public way of saying that, yeah, it is, we are an organization representing all of the, the, the different levels of the national teams. And this is, these are our, these are our expectations on the players, but they're also what we're going to deliver to the players. I agree. And I think it's easy. We talk about together stronger quite a lot. And I think it's quite easy to say these kind of taglines, but actually for them to come back and, and really mean something, I think is important. Mm -hmm. it, it adds value to what we're saying. And it's not just a, a soundbite or a, or a sign on a poster. It, it, it has value. It means something. I think what I find fascinating about this, I think for anyone who is a regular listener or a semi-regular listener even uh, to our podcast, I think we do our best here to cover men's football and women's football in, in, in as relative equal measure as we can. And I think it's clear that we are supporters of, of the women's game uh, when, it comes to, when it comes to Welsh football. But I think, I, I, I'm, as I say, intentionally antagonistic questions. So this is not really me. I'm just, you know, I'm saying these things. Um, uh, you know, I, I've seen a million comments, Ruth, on, on Facebook threads and, and Twitter threads of saying, like, look at the attendances they're bringing in. Why do women... Why do the women's team deserve this pay equality? And, and what's your response to that? Well, it's not as though the men's team's pay is judged by attendance. There isn't, there isn't a, a, a scale there. So why would there be a scale for someone else? I also, I also think it's very short-sighted. Short I don't think that's the way you approach these things. I think you pay someone for their... Uh, their service on our behalf and it's it's our choice whether we go we go through the turnstile or not um but i i just find it i find it offensive actually that it's just there's this wider issue about women's pay in the workforce and the fact that we typically get about 75 to 80 percent of a man's wage for the same job and i think if you are trying to make a statement about equality then you have to make very public statements. And I would have been disappointed in, in the FAW if they hadn't tried to shift this agenda to, to parity in this regard. I, I, I think when you are an organisation that is at the front and centre of trying to say what Wales is and who we are and how we operate, I think it would be invidious to then not have equal pay. Spot on. Uh, the, the attendance agreement um, uh, argument, sorry, makes me laugh every time I hear it because, mm -hmm. you know, I, you don't have to look too far back. I mean, less than 10 years when Wales's attendances were absolutely hilariously bad for the men's team. Um, you know, playing at Parker Scarlet's, maybe that was more than 10 years ago, to be fair, but playing at Parker Scarlet's in front of really not very many people, um, you know, 
the men's pay didn't go down because we were playing at Parker <laughs> Scarlet's in front of a couple of thousand. Um, it doesn't work like that. So uh, uh, that argument baffles me every time. I think the the, the key is, uh, for me at least, is that if we're trying to present, as you said, this image of Wales to the world of equality, and, and that needs to mean something. We can't just say that. <laughs> and I think the Wales that I want to be part of and the Wales that I believe in uh, politics aside is 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 that these things do matter and these things should be done and it's not about revenue streams I'm like this is real life this is people's jobs mm-hmm. this is the thing that people have committed themselves to 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 doing and and have given us great moments of entertainment if you don't like women's football that's fine just don't go just don't watch it doesn't matter if you don't like a certain actor or actress or a certain type of genre of film you don't go and see it you know i Absolutely, I think Star Wars is one of the most ridiculous things on the planet. I don't go around saying, bloody hell, Ewan McGregor shouldn't be paid much money because I don't like Star Wars. It's a complete nonsensical argument. Um, And I appreciate that's a ridiculous argument, but that is also what a lot of people are saying. That's very much the point. I know it's stupid. But, you know, it it, it bothers me. And I think the flip side of it is that the side that that people don't see, and and I'm not championing... Championing, championing us. Champion, what's the word? What I'm trying to say? Championing. <laughs> Is that champ, yeah, championing? You got there. That one there. I got there in the end. That one. I'm not doing that to us, uh, in, in, like to blow our own trumpet per se. But I think if you listen back to some of the podcasts we've done with some of the women's players, and you you hear the struggle that they've gone through just to, mm. you know, just to play football. Never mind anything else yeah. about you know the outcomes. Just to be able to do that. And, you know, people talk about attendances and all this sort of stuff. Let's not forget, in the, in the post-war years, in the 50s, women's football was made, it was banned. It was basically illegal for women to play football on, on health grounds, which is laughable. And that is because, basically, there were more attendances, uh, there were higher attendances post-war for, men's, for women's football than there was men's football. I appreciate there's extenuating circumstances mm-hmm. there, but after the Second World War, but that's still true. Imagine if that hadn't have happened. Imagine if you had taken... You know, if you give those 30 years back, how developed would women's football be? How big would the attendances yeah. be? So the argument that, you know, this is linked to attendance is ridiculous because they've had 30 years, 40 years even less time to progress than men's football. Um, and it's been their pro- mm-hmm. progress has been actively hindered. So, of course, that's the outcome. That's that's the same in any form of life. If, you, if you're hindering someone from doing something, you can't be surprised that it doesn't grow exponentially in the same way. It's, it's nonsense. So, I, I, I do, you know, those arguments do really rile me, I'll be honest. But uh, to, to get off my soapbox for a sec, um, I think we need to focus on what is important here, which is that it is great that the FAW are doing this. It's great that there's been parity drawn between the men and women. I understand that the men have taken a, a cut so that the women can take uh, a rise, and I think that is again demonstrative of the of the of the feeling in welsh football at the minute of of the importance of this yeah i think that's an important point actually um i mean i think it's somewhat disappointing that we've had to reduce one group's pay to increase somebody else's but i do think it makes a statement about the connectivity between the the two groups and and how that they they see parity in what they're doing um and if they see parity in what they're doing then the rest of us have got no comment in in that sense it's it's a small step dave but um you shouldn't you shouldn't ignore the small steps just because the the big steps are difficult you know you get to the big steps by tackling the small steps 
Absolutely, very, very true, and, I, and it's massively important, I think, for the for the future of Welsh football and for young people who want to play football that they recognise this important, be it boys or girls, but also especially for girls who see that there is a chance for them to make a living. And there's, you know, it's, it may not be a huge barrier removed, but it's a big barrier that's being removed and helping them be professional footballers if that's what they want to be. And. <laughs> aspire to that to that level so uh, i think that's also really important as a as a, as a statement to the future uh, um as well so yeah i think that's massive is there anything else you wanted to uh, to add there not on that in particular but while we're talking about the women's game i thought i just wanted to acknowledge the extension to Gemma granger's contract which is taking her on through i think 2027 yeah. um that was good to see that we've got that got her well i mean tied up in inverted commas i think contracts are somewhat meaningless these days but um i think it's good that we have committed in that sense and uh you know that that's a we're on we've talked a lot about being on a journey with the men's team but i think women's team is on like an even clearer path and journey at the minute aren't they and i think it's really important that we continue that momentum so i was glad to see her her contract extended Absolutely, and you know, as as the first thing that will will happen for for Gemma and the team, they are uh, playing a couple of games in uh, Pinatar, which is their favourite uh, away day location. Um, playing the Philippines, <laughs> playing Iceland, and playing Scotland uh, in the Pinatar Cup, uh, which is I think the first game is on the fifteenth of February. Yes, it is. So that's really not very far away. So that's uh, that's exciting for the. For the women seem to be looking forward to these three important games as they prepare for the for the Euro qualifiers as well. Um, to move on a little bit, Ruth, uh, and just kind of wrap up uh, and talk about some of the uh, some of the other players, the, the men's players, and, and how they're getting on um, at the end uh, this part of the season. I, I think it's worth referencing that Joe Rodden uh, is in great form at the minute. He's been in and out of the of the, of the side. Uh, for Ren a little bit and it's great to see him back in for one but also playing so well and you know keeping a clean sheet against uh, against Lionel Messi a couple of weeks ago so fantastic stuff by him yeah that was a nice one they'll win they got over PSG wasn't it and they're up to fifth in the league and you know it's, it's just positive positive we've talked a lot about how our players can go from being in Europe and I think I think he and Ampadu with his uh efforts in Italy it's good it's good to see them being prepared to sign of um what's the word to challenge themselves it's not just about joining a new team it's a new environment you've got a lot to learn it's a big learning curve you know I think I think that's got to be good for us going forward for the national team absolutely I'm, I'm glad you mentioned Ampadu there who's also doing very well at Spezia um, they have kind of been in a bit of a relegation scrap but seem to be pulling away from it with a couple of decent results although I think they lost on the weekend having said that but yeah overall I think things have gone well, well there he's, he's playing all the time it seems to get be getting very positive <laughs> reviews and a few good results that go with that as well so fantastic to see these players kind of challenging themselves as you say abroad and and, uh, and really impressing I think it's fair to say do you think there's anyone else Ruth um, there's one more I want to finish on actually but is there anyone else you see who any of our players who you might see moving in the uh, in the January transfer window as we approach the last few days it's been it's been a really quiet transfer window hasn't it I mean I think Nathan Broadhead's move to Ipswich um, might be about the extent of it in terms of sort of notable Welsh player uh changes uh, I 
he's he's 24 now. He's older than I think I was picturing him. And I think it's important that he starts to play regularly. Um, he's dipped into a couple of games for Ipswich so far. Um, and I think he's that sort of versatile player that you can see a club that's that's trying to get promotion Um you know, want, wanting around the team and around the, the bench to, you know, be available and to have an impact. So I'm not sure he's necessarily going to be starting every game, but I can see him being involved in a lot of games because he can he can play a range of a range of positions. Um, hopefully, you know, as that goes forward, if they can get promotion, then he's in the championship, perhaps playing a bit more regularly. And that's good, an important step forward for him. Yeah, that's very true. Another one that I was thinking of was could be Kem Campbell. He signed a new contract at Wolves not too long ago, a four-year deal, I think it was. So he's someone who's not playing for Wolves, but obviously they think highly of. So maybe a loan to a championship club or even a League One club just to get some game time. And for us to actually kind of have a proper look at him, because I think he's highly rated, but has, uh, has not really, no one's really seen too much of him unless you're a Wolves fan. So I think that would be an interesting one. I would like to see a move just to see what kind of might become of him. But that doesn't, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that something's going to happen. But he's someone I'd definitely be interested in seeing, making a move and, and, and seeing if they can um, give themselves some more first-team experience or also give us a chance to have a look at them and, and hopefully involve him in a Wales squad at some point. Yeah, I think alone is the most likely there. I, I agree. I think it would be good if he could get out somewhere until the end of the season. But I sus- also suspect that Wolves might just want to keep him tethered because you don't know what's around the corner. And... Uh, there's no kind of impetus from them, really, is there to, to push him out. They know what they've got. Um, they may feel that they're developing him enough for their needs. I just don't think that, unfortunately, suits our national needs quite as much. But no. I would like to see it, but I'd be surprised if we see him out on loan. Yeah, I tend to agree with you on that one. Um, but I do think it would be good. Um, the other person I wanted to mention uh, and reference before we before we wrap up is David Brooks who we're seeing some great videos of uh, being back in training and uh, scoring some great goals and, and obviously just great to see him out on the football pitch and, and back on the grass again and, and hopefully being involved for Bournemouth very soon Yeah, O'Neill described him as not quite ready at the, just before the weekend I think but that makes it sound like it's you know 10 days, 2 weeks away from perhaps seeing him on as a sub um, they're obviously in need of him uh, so you know, hopefully the timeline there is sensible, but I get that I get the feeling that they're not really rushing him. Um, it would, like you say, it would just be great to see him back on a on a football field. And I, you know, I just hopefully that means we're going to see him in the squad in March. Uh, he could have a big impact for us as well. But just, I mean, it's just a great story, and just to see him back playing football. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that we all want to see him back and uh, and hopefully he will be back very, very soon. Ruth, is there anything else uh, you would like to add as we look to wrap up here? No, I think we've uh, covered a lot of different topics there when you start adding it up. Uh, it's just have. nice to be back talking about football again after really? our winter our winter hiatus. It really is great to be talking about football again. I agree. Um, we are saying goodbye without Ruth, as the the screaming child in the background sounded like they were actually uh, being murdered. So uh, I am I'm closing on my own. So I'm not uh, so I'm not deafening you. Ruth says goodbye as always. Um, just wanted to say uh, if you are interested in great bags, hoodies, t-shirts, uh, go to bagsybags.com and use the code Chad ten for ten percent off. Um, which is obviously great for you, but also helps us uh, and keeps this podcast free. You can also support us at buymeacoffee.com forward slash Coleman's 
dream. Um, Again, everything that you can donate and help support us keeps this podcast free and going strong. Um, Thank you very much for listening, ladies and gents, and we'll be back with you soon. Bye-bye.